Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus and the everyday normal rhythms of life. I got three gentlemen on the podcast. Guys, would you introduce yourselves? Kevin Kenora, Biblical Counselor. Sam Schmidt, Pastor of Sacred City Moline. Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast. This is our per- first podcast in 2024. It was a great year last year. Um, we had, I don't even rem- remember the numbers, but thousands of downloads, and we're really thankful for that. Thankful for that you're still listening to us. If you find these podcasts helpful, please share them with a friend. Uh, like us on uh, wh- wherever you're finding them. And uh, rate us in the I- iTunes store or on Spotify. That really helps other people find us. So we're really appreciative of all of that. And we are going to jump right back into our Kingdom of the Colts segment of our podcast. And we're just going to uh, dive deeper. And, and we're kind of combining two things. They, they're not necessarily the same, but there's so much overlap between them. It's, it probably will just do us good to combine these into one. And we're gonna, tonight, today we're going to talk about atheism and secularism. Um, Kevin, what's the, let's just start here. I guess, can you define, define for us what atheism is? Yeah, atheism, ah, being generally without theism, think God, right? So an atheist believes that there is no God, that they don't need a God, that, yeah, that God's just not in the picture. Right. Now we say that, that's kind of its common vernacular, but Interestingly enough, in like the first century, Christians were called atheists mm-hmm. because uh, they didn't believe in all the other gods that that supposedly existed, the Roman gods and the Greek gods, and so, et cetera. They only believed in one god, and so Christians were actually labeled atheists or atheists. But today, we use that term atheism to denote a person. And, and let me just say this. Atheism, in one sense is a religion mm-hmm. because it is a, a way of relating to the world and dealing with gods, the supernatural, the natural, all these. So it's a worldview, but it's not necessarily a religion in the traditional sense mm-hmm. because you don't have too many atheist temples or mm-hmm. atheist church services or, I mean, that's very rare to even find an atheist club right. today. Yep. Now you do have a lot of atheists that gather online, that a lot of atheists, um, you know, our chatterboxes on, um, on Twitter and, uh, what's the, uh, Reddit and places like that. You, you see a lot of atheists get together there. Um, so atheist believes there is no God mm-hmm. and there's a little bit different than an agnostic An agnostic doesn't really know, just says, I don't really know. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God. Um, and then we get to secularism and h- how would you define secularism? Kevin? Yeah. So secularism, um, when, when I think secularism, I think almost a, a cultural movement away from religion, right? Kind of this, this um, we as humanity, we can do, it, it's kind of where atheism is specifically a religion of one, me and myself. Secularism tends to look at, okay, we don't need these quote-unquote outdated institutions we can band together as human beings. We can raise ourselves up by our bootstraps, kind of this, this, it's almost humanism, right? A lot of times we hear secular humanism kind of combined with one another. Yeah. The term secularism was coined by George Holyoke in the mid-19th century in his work, Principles of Secularism. Mm-hmm. And he defined secularism as a series of principles mm-hmm. intended for the guidance of those who find theology indefinite or inadequate or deem it unreliable. Mm-hmm. So, whereas in a traditional religion, you would have a God who defines for you morality, I would say reality, metaphysical reality, what is, why are we here, what exists, uh, where did it come from, the spiritual, the physical world, et cetera, et cetera. They, re- they replace theology with principles Mm -hmm. for operating in a rational way. Mm -hmm. So basically they're saying we only believe in what we can see Mm. and that leads to the next big word that we're going to use and that's materialism. Mm -hmm. Both atheism and secularists, no, not all secularists are atheists, Mm -hmm. um, but 
both atheism and secularism usually leads towards a belief called materialism. Mm. And that is um, all that exists is matter. Mm -hmm. All that exists is matter. All that exists is what I see, feel, hear, taste, touch, smell, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and this, these beliefs have really grown in the past 150 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, athe and, and some of it is understandable. There are a lot of different religions out there. Um, there have been a lot of quote-unquote religious wars. Mm -hmm. um, and people can look at all that and say, oh, man, theism is the problem. Religion is the problem. Yeah. So we, if we just got rid of God, we would be a whole lot more peaceful of a society, right? Mm. Well, that is a poor way, one, to read history mm -hmm. because in the last 200 years, atheism has killed more people than any other religion in the history of the world that we know of. Hundreds of millions, I think it's 200 million people have been killed mm. uh, through atheistic regimes or atheistic whatever you want to call yeah. them, king, kingdoms and... So are know. they like sacrificing people? What do you mean by that? After a manner of speaking. So if we think about the two biggest, um, I'd say at least functionally, if not outright, atheistic countries, you think China, you think Russia, right? And, and Germany. And, and Germany. World War II. World yeah. War II, right. So mm. they had a lot of initiatives that were outright execution of human beings. I think China, was it the, the one-child policy or the two-child policy? Well, you have that for sure. But you've got, I mean, um, Mayo. I can't even remember. Uh, the Cambodian killing fields. Mm -hmm. You've okay, got, right. I mean, what's that? His name is Pol Pot. Pol Pot. Right, yeah, yeah, Pol Pot. And so they just, so he, here's the deal. If you get rid of God, what is your ultimate standard? You have no well, standard. You have no standard. And, and ultimately, you get to might makes right. Yeah. Right. So whoever has the power gets to determine what's right and what's wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, that, therefore, you, that leads, I mean, that almost, you know, that, that leads to extermination of people who you don't like, that mm -hmm. extermination of people who don't share your same views, the people that you think are weak, they're a drain on society, et cetera, et cetera. So this is communism. Um, Fascism. I mean, it, 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 there's no God above you, right? And so you can do whatever you want, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is, uh, you know, the Beatles sang the song, Imagine. I could imagine if there's no God above yeah. you. Well, yeah, when we imagine there's no God above us, then we become gods. Yeah. And yeah. we do are, job. We are hor we're horrible, yeah. capricious, um, murderous lot. Mm -hmm. yeah, That's what Schaefer said something like, uh, if... If there's not an absolute above a society, society becomes the absolute. So it's just ruling by yeah. the, the fist. Yeah, even in a democracy. A democracy, if you get enough people to get, a, get on with something, then you can do anything almost, right? So even if a democracy isn't rooted in theism, then you get enough people, immoral people, to vote for some immoral law, you can pass the immoral mm -hmm. law whether it's killing the unborn or killing a certain sect of people or killing a certain type of people, right? Yeah. Like whatever it is. So we must be rooted in theism. Mm. Like if we're going to be a virtuous and honorable society. Yeah, and I think that's where, so at the beginning you said rightly, you know, you don't have organized churches of atheism or first national church of secularism, whatever. But I think what we see and what we're saying is when secularism runs rampant, it does form a religion. It does form a cult. It's just around the center of power in, in the nation, right? And so that's where you see the governing doctrine might not be, you know, a, a book per se, but it's the quote-unquote rule of law, right? Roe v. Wade became kind of a, a secularist anthem for, for a long time. And so I think there is a central organizing principle. It's just people don't, maybe they don't think about it. Maybe they don't want to think about it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it's been the dominant yeah. principle in American politics and culture 
for going on, you know, 150 years now or 100 years at least. And it gained it gained steam in like the 40s when the government ruled that we had to quote unquote kick God out of schools, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where our schools were predominantly Christian, yeah. and they, there was prayer in school, there was Bible reading in schools, Bible classes in schools, and all of a sudden, you know, the Supreme Court found <laughs> found these secularistic um, things in the in the Constitution, where there was some supposedly this, meant to be this. Well, the, the words that he uses, this wall of separation between right. church and state. Now, that language was from Thomas Jefferson in his journals, but Thomas Jefferson was not there when they wrote the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. So that's Thomas Jefferson's language of the First Amendment. He wasn't even there when they wrote the First Amendment. He was over in, in Europe at the time. And But that's just common vernacular. Everybody, oh, there's a wall of separation. There's a wall of separation. Well... There was meant to be a, a, and we could use that language, a wall of separation between the federal government mm -hmm. and the church that the federal government was not supposed to create one, you know, we're going to be the, we're going to be, Angli we're going to have an Anglican church or we're yeah. going to be Catholic or we're going to be Protestant. The federal government wasn't, wasn't supposed to decide that, but it was the major at the time of the writing of the first amendment the majority of the colonies and the majority of the states had state churches. Right. So Pennsylvania, they were Quakers. Most of them were Quakers. Now, nobody, just because they had a state church and the majority of them were Quakers, that was not violating anyone's conscience. They weren't saying you have to go to, you know, you have to be a Quaker. They were just saying, this is, this is what we want to be. We got our, our guiding principles, our scripture, scripture and Quakers and, and Quakerism, and that's something else we could get into. One of the biggest things about Quakers is they, they don't believe in any just war. They, they don't want to uh, fight for anything. And then uh, Anglicans, you know, there's, you know, the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, the Free Church. There, so when people say, when people think like the founding of our country was secular, they're completely historically misunderstood. Right. They haven't done, they just haven't done the research. Right. There's a difference between state government and federal government, mm -hmm. and the states wanted to keep the ability to govern themselves how they how they wanted to, without the federal government telling them how to how to do things. Yeah. Right. So. Um, <clears throat> so, secularism is this idea that we don't need God or quote unquote religion mm -hmm. to order a flourishing society. And it picked up, it picked up steam. Obviously I, I already mentioned the thing in the forties when we, or was it in the sixties when we kicked, when we, uh, when, when prayer got kicked out of school and Bibles got kicked out of school. I can't remember if it was in the forties or if it was in the sixties. And then it just, because Christians don't push back because Christians don't understand their heritage they just allow these things to keep happening and happening and happening. And so what happens is our, then they get the Ten Commandments out of courthouses, right? 1962. 1962. 1962. Yeah, early 60s. So, and then Christians don't push back and take more ground. And so, and, they, and many Christians and churches swallow this lie mm -hmm. that there's this neutral sphere out there. What's the neutral sphere? Anything in the public. Okay, so public education is neutral. Public college, that's all neutral. The government is supposed to be neutral. Well, there is no sphere on the planet that is religiously neutral. Mm. Because as soon as you tell somebody what they ought to do, we know from science and materialism, right? Just if science, science doesn't tell us what we ought to do. Right. Science can only tell us what is, what we already have. There are no moral oughts in science, yeah. right? They're just, it is what it is. So as soon as you tell somebody you ought to do this thing, you are now invoking a non-scientific principle, mm. right? You're sure. invoking either a philosophical principle that's got to be rooted in something or, you're, or it's going to be ultimately a theological principle, right. right? That's rooted in the nature of God. Yeah. Well, secularism, one of the reasons I think secularism took hold is because and I'm reading Benjamin Franklin's autobiography right now. And Benjamin Franklin 
could be considered an early, I don't even know if I want to call him a secularist, because he believed in God for sure. But when he became a young man, like at 20 or so, and he moved out of his father's household, he was raised in the Anglican tradition, I'm fairly certain. Um, and, but when he became a young man, he stopped going to church. And he was a relatively virtuous, industrious young man. He had scripture memorized. He quoted scripture. He believed in God. He believed in the controlling power of providence, the hand of God over all of life's affairs. But he was, he, he, he didn't like the sects. And by sects, I mean S-E-C-T-S. Mm. And that he means the different denominations. Mm. He talks about going to church on Sunday and it all being very doctrinal heavy and kind of like polemic arguments. So he was an Anglican and, and so they're, you know, he's, they're, they're arguing over and against uh, the Baptists or whatever it was, you know, the Quakers and stuff. And it just rubbed him raw. And he was like, why aren't they, this, he said this often, like, why aren't they teaching virtue? Why aren't you teaching people how to be good people, how to be good husbands, good wives, good citizens? And so he basically just said, I don't want to divide. I'm okay with everybody. He even went to George Whitfield. He was personally knew George Whitfield, and he went to George Whitfield's revival that they had there um, in uh, Pennsylvania. And it was fascinating he, the way he loved, you know, he didn't like Whitfield's doctrine, but he loved Whitfield as a man. Whitfield even stayed at his house. And he loved his ability to move people. He tells this amazing story where um, he knew Whitfield was coming to town to raise money for orphans, that he had started a ministry in Georgia at the time, and it was like uncivilized down there, and and so there was tons of orphans. And uh, Whitfield knew, or I mean, I'm sorry, Franklin knew that this was going to be like, he's going to try to raise money. So he took most of his money out of his pocket, and he he had like two gold shekels and then a couple other like, you know, different, different, different things. And he talks about sitting there and he puts in like the, I'm just using the word pennies, but he puts in the pennies and then in the middle of the sermon, he puts in the silver pieces. And then by the end of the sermon, he emptied his own pockets and give it the gold. He said, this man could preach. This man was yeah. in order. But Franklin was more concerned with about living virtuously, which is interesting to me because that's kind of what secularism is. Franklin was built and raised in a Christian society, in a Christian home. But he got to the age where he thought, I don't need Christianity anymore. Mm. And in one sense, <clears throat> I understand what he's, like he was already a virtuous man. Like he tells, he, I'm t- tells this other story about his dad teaching him uh, the diligent, <clears throat> do you see who, do you see who, the, the, pro, the, the proverb, do you see him who is diligent in his craft? He will stand before kings and not mean men. And he, he kind of dismissed it or whatever, but he became this diligent man who was really excellent at his craft. And then he ends the story by saying, and I stood before five kings and ate with one. Hmm. So it was like dad's, dad's education, dad's Christian education, you know, and the values that he instilled in, in him came to fruition. Like they act, he actually built this virtuous man. And then Benjamin Franklin was, you know, who was only went to school to the age of 10, by the way. Uh, and then he educated himself outside of that. So, but it's like he was made into this Christian man and then he didn't think he actually needed, you know, right. Jesus Christ. That's the one thing in his autobiography, he never mentions Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's always God. It's always religion. It's always virtue, but not Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so what do you say to the, some of the people that are maybe in the midst of that of like, I'm not always trying to like bring conflict or bring situations um, into different religions or challenge people, but at the same time, like, I want to love them where they're at, pray for them in hopes of being a light to be able to build a relationship in, in hopes that the Holy Spirit, you know, moves in their heart. All right, well, my first response is conflict is good and necessary. Yep. Yeah. And if your desire is to not have conflict, then I don't think you're going to be a very good disciple of Jesus Christ in today's culture. Right. I think that impulse to not have conflict is what got us here. Yeah. That's yeah. what literally in Franklin's autobiography, that's what he that's what bugged him was the conflict. The con mm. 
well, but he, and I was like, I wanted to shake him, you know, in there because it's like the conflict is necessary. Mm -hmm. The conflict is necessary. You can't just try to get along with everybody because, and this is one of the things like you didn't have, and he does speak ill of Mohammedism. You know, we would call it Islam now, but as soon as you have a hump, you know, someone who follows Muhammad, you know, um, what we'd call now a Muslim in your community, you conflict is necessary because mm. their religion teaches the conquest of all other religions by violence. Like mm. that's what they call jihad. And so the reason he could do that, oh, oh let's not conflict. Let's not, because you're talking about Quakers and you're talking about Anglicans, you're talking mm. about Episcopals, you're talking about the free church. They're all Christian, yeah. right? They're all already Christian. Yeah. You're not talking about rampant secularism. You're not mm. talking about atheism. You're not talking about Mohammedism. You're not talking about Buddhism. These things hadn't really made their way into American life at the time. Mm. And they were driving out the paganism that we would, that of, of the Native Americans yeah. because they saw how brutal and violent it was. So, but, but anyways, there, there have been these secularistic roots. Like we had guys that what we would call now, not very many, by the way, but a, a few signers of the, the Declaration of Independence and, and writers of the Constitution and, and governors and such who were um, deists. Mm -hmm. And that I would, I would, that's what I would classify Franklin as a deist. There is mm -hmm. a God, and I think there is a God, and I think the Christian God is right, but who can know? You know, mm -hmm. that's the kind of attitude that were there. But predominantly, our country was founded by Christians and even the deists. This is one of the in some ways, Benjamin Franklin had more of a Christian worldview than most Christians do today yeah. as a deist. Mm. And yeah. I, I'm he, he wrote like 12 virtues that he was tr striving to live by. And they were great. All of them were great with one-liners. And then he tried to do them. And he, he, put, he like put this spreadsheet together. He was going to work on the first one the first week and check it off. And he's like, this is really hard. He's like, I thought it was going to be easy. This is really hard. Because when I'm thinking about one, I'm not thinking about another. And then I'm breaking it. Yeah. And I'm like, that's why you need the gospel. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you need Jesus Christ, man. Um, and there, but... I think Franklin, in one sense, had the seed at least, because it started in the Enlightenment, had the, the seed at least yeah. of secularism yeah. in him. And it wasn't that damaging to society because it was just a seed. Mm -hmm. yeah. But now we've had several hundred years of those seeds and that <laughs> ideology taking over our country, yes. taking over our educational systems, taking over our politics, where even many Christians have a secularist understanding of education, of the state, of culture, etc. Right? Mm -hmm. That's and good. and as it's picked up speed as it picked up speed, now now we're here where we can't tell a boy from a girl. Because yeah. mm. people don't want conflict, right? And I think, I mean, even for a lot of people, I mean, uh, there's some that could be listening to this, maybe struggling with this. Um, so how do, how, do, how do we coach some people to get over this not having conflict? Because even in the culture that we're living in today, even with our teens and adults that are coming in, it's kind of, ah, I just, I don't want nothing to do with it. I'll just be on my phone. I'll do my own thing. I don't want nothing to do with that because I don't want to get in the midst of what's going on. So how do we love them well and guide them into having that conflict? Well, I think it starts by remembering when Jesus says, if you're mine, you will be at odds with the world. If you are mine, if you love me, you'll find yourselves at enmity with the world. And so there has to be something of, of an embrace of the reality that conflict will be there. You can't escape it. There's no way to water it down. To be faithful to Jesus means that you have to stand at odds of, of the world. Yeah. Um, and so I think a big piece of that is just coming to grips with that and then the other side is well who do i want to please yeah that's like, good wh where where am i my motivations for doing one thing or another is it to please god or to please man is it out of a fear of god or is it out of fear of man and if you can identify that and then 
make people small and God big, that's going to be a game changer because then your heart will be set. Whatever I do, I want to please God. Yeah. And so I, I think your allegiance and just embracing the natural the the opposition that's there for us as Christians. Is the scary deal. thing is too with the conflict. If you stand for nothing, that means you go for everything. And when you, our culture right now, it just seems like we're we're going for everything. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot. As Sam said, there we have to remember the the antithesis that's built into all of cre- like creation right now, fallen creation. Yeah. That there's the seed of Satan and there's the seed of the woman, right? There are those who are Christ and there are those who are not. There is God and there is Satan. And this world is conflict. So you, part of the secular spirit is meant to make you passive. Mm-hmm. So you're, you just, here's the deal. The conflict is already here. Yes. Yeah. The conflict yeah. is coming for you. There's no place you can go anymore. You can't retreat to a convent. You can't retreat to some suburban enclave, the conflict is coming for you. You just talked about, hey, I'm going to sit down and get on my phone. The conflict is on the phone. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. They're, they're pushing propaganda everywhere they can mm-hmm. to, to turn your own children against you. Yep. So you, the beliefs that you hold sacred, and we could use constitutional language, self-evident, they're going to turn around and say that's white supremacy. Mm-hmm. They're going to turn around and say that's colonialism. They're going to turn around and say they're going to they're they're being prop. It's literally propaganda all the way down through. You know, they. they I think I just saw uh, a statistic that said a person is thirty percent more likely to be anti-Semitic. Is that how I say that? Mm-hmm. If they're on TikTok, thirty percent more likely to be anti-Semitic if they're on TikTok. Why? Because that. Jew-hating propaganda is being pushed on TikTok, mm-hmm. right? So there's no safe place anymore to go to yeah. hide from the conflict. Yeah. And it's my hope that Christians, you know, as Gandalf said to Theoden, that you would remember, you would grab the hilt of your sword and you would remember the strength in your hand again, yeah, right? Cool. Because this is why the word of God is a sword mm-hmm. and it's not a soft pillow, yeah. right? It's not a soft pillow to push back darkness. It's sword meant to cut through the lies, right? We're, we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So when we hear a secularist lie, we should take that thought captive and push back with the truth of God's word. Yeah. There is no secular space on the planet. Yep. Secularism is its own religion. So when secularism says, well, this is a secular space, they're claiming it to be a religious space yep. for themselves. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Christians have said, oh, okay, I guess. Why? Because most Christians have been educated in a secular public education and they haven't been taught their heritage. We've literally forgotten how to think Christianly. We've forgotten what our forefathers did in this country. We don't understand our history and we've lost it. And, and secularism has taken, uh, you know, hold of most of the institutions one of the, the mechanisms that secularism uses, and, and I think any, any anti-God worldview, is to use alternate history to go back and review things and twist it and change it. So things that were actually good and that were honoring to God, though imperfect, um, they want to say it's all damnable. It's all terrible stuff. We should lament it. We should have never done that, you know. And it just causes like a bunch of guilt that's unnecessary that people have to carry around. And I think what you were saying, Justin, when you can't escape it, it's everywhere. I think once you once you acknowledge that, you can't just turn on a TV show and let your guard down. There's always stuff coming at you, mm-hmm. and to be on guard for for that. And it's like I, you know, over the last several years, like you can't just sit down and watch a movie. Like I'm analyzing, I'm examining. Okay, what are they trying to tell me? What are they t- trying to tell me about myself? Mm-hmm. What are they trying to tell me about God? What are they yeah. trying to tell me about the good life? What are they trying to get me to buy in on? Because it's yeah. happening all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's even worse than the music. I mean, you think from rap to country to, you know, rock and roll, it's, it's everywhere you go. So I, just be aware. Yeah. So I think this idea where I don't want to make things uncomfortable I mean, are you willing to fight for your kids? Yeah. Are you willing to fight for the truth? Mm. Right? Like, that's, you've got to have a spine. Yeah. You've got to be able to, to push back these lies. Now, 
let's get into to atheism and just show, I, I just want to show in the fastest way we possibly can how atheism is, first off, morally bankrupt, mm. and secondly, second, um, intellectually bankrupt, mm. all right? So both atheism and secularism are morally bankrupt. What do I mean by that? Where, do, where does morality and virtue come from? It comes from God. Okay, well, that's, that's the Christian answer, right? God is morality. Yeah. God is virtue. And so we have special revelation, the scriptures, that tell us what God is like, and therefore, and it tells us how we should behave, right? You talk about, the, let's just start with the Ten Commandments, right? We say, oh, those are good. Let's, every human being should follow the Ten Commandments. Well, atheism and secularism, where do they get their morality and their understanding of virtue from? They would argue from nature. They would argue from, quote-unquote, science. Reason. Reason. The human's ability to, to think and figure things out rightly. Yeah, I, your first answer I would push back on. Um, I, I don't think you can find morality in nature, especially fallen nature. Because might makes right. Animal kingdom, the strong eat the weak, right? Yeah. And, you know, Charles Darwin's theory of evolution is that that's good for, that's good, mm -hmm. is that the strong eat the weak so that the weak are no more and the strong breed and the strong make stronger people. So, you know, World War II, Hitler comes along, he takes these principles and he says, the Jews are weak. You know, the invalids are weak. Mm -hmm. The blind are weak. The deaf are weak. The sickly are weak. Let's kill them all off and let's create the master race. Mm -hmm. That's morality from a naturalistic perspective, right? Mm -hmm. from, just from nature. That's, a, that's morality from nature. So you, you can't. I mean, look what the... <laughs> Apes rape each other, you know, or they, they you know, <laughs> the animal kingdom, deer rape each other, you know, they, yep. they, they you know, bucks during rut, they don't care, they'll take it by force if they have to. So how could you, how is rape bad from a naturalistic perspective? Mm -hmm. And you can't just look at human history because nearly every conquering kingdom uh, that was not Christian, they right. took, they raped the women, they took slave human slaves they did horrible things mm -hmm. so i don't i don't think from atheism and secularism you can't you don't have a morality you don't have it now you could say it's democracy but then well when we talked about this before you go back to the aztecs well all the aztecs believed that human sacrifice was necessary mm -hmm. and they believed that eating the dead and eating people was good if you have the majority in society that says yeah, these things are good. Secularism would say, okay, cool, that's, that's great. That's a moral law. So eating people and, you know, sacrifice human, that's a moral law, right? And I think they would, they would have to say yes because that's one of the justifications for abortion and mm -hmm. euthanasia and different things like that. Now, on top of that, so you've got, there's no moral footing. There's no moral foundation mm -hmm. for atheism and secularism, right? Christianity, our moral foundation is God himself, right? right? And then the second thing that I was going to say that it's intellectually bankrupt is if there is two, two ways. One, if there is no God, there is no morality. Mm -hmm. If there is no God, there is no truth. Do you guys, do you push back on that or do you agree with that? I agree. Do I agree with your analysis? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So there can be no basis of human agreement from one culture to another. One culture. So I, we can look at Native American culture and say that was immoral. That culture was immoral because... Uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever we want to say. The, tech, the, the fact that they're taking neighboring tribes and, you know, making concubines out of the women or yeah. what, whatever it is. We could say that was immoral. Yeah. Why? Because God says so. Mm -hmm. Now, we can look at our own camp 
a supposedly Christian nation, there's still going to be aspects of immorality that we point and say that's wrong, that's mm -hmm. immoral, mm -hmm. right? But an atheist can't make that claim because, he, again, he's stepping out of what is and he's stepping into what ought, what ought to be. Mm -hmm. He has no basis to make a moral judgment. But do, do atheists make moral judgments? Oh, oh yeah. certainly. All the time, right? And so we would have to push back on an atheist and say, by what standard? Yeah. Mm. By what standard is, if I want to steal that from you, why is stealing wrong? Mm -hmm. Right? Christians even have a standard for saying uh, the government is wrong and immoral by taxing us so much as they already are. Yeah. Why? Because that is stealing. Yeah. One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. Overtaxation is stealing. It's the government taking what they didn't earn and what doesn't belong to them. Now, taxation in the beginning was, was voluntary. We wanted roads to be built. We wanted hospitals to be built. We wanted certain things to happen. And that's okay. But now it's out of control, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely out of control. We can say that. An atheist can't say that. Right. By what standard is, is that taxation theft? By what standard can you even say theft is wrong, right. right? Christians have the basis of personal property laws and personal, mm -hmm. because of the 10 commandments, thou shalt not steal. Now, the second way I would say that atheism is intellectually bankrupt is it just doesn't make sense. Atheism, all they can do to explain the world as it is, is break it down into the tiniest piece they could possibly describe. Mm -hmm. And then they, if they're good orators, they get you to go, oh, wow, that's great. Like they get it down, you know, what are we? We're, we're just cells and oh, we're just carbon. Oh, we're just quarks. Who created oh, we're that? Just, we're and, yeah. <laughs> Who created that? And, and, and basically you're talking about building blocks. Yeah. And you're just getting it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And you have this, you know, microscopic, microscopic block. Mm. And then I, I say, well, where did that come from? Right? Where did that thing come from? Yeah, yeah, and they, sure. they, they, they can't answer the question. Yeah. They can't answer the question. And so obviously... Everything created has to have a creator. Yep. So it doesn't matter how small you try to define something. You still have the problem. Nothing existed. Then something existed. Mm -hmm. Then that something, even though it, in your worldview, it's broken down to a microscopic rock. Yep. Okay. Think, here we go. Here's the, here's the leap of an atheist. Nothing existed. Then something existed. Yep. Then that something, that little rock became a person. Not, no, no, no. Not just a person. The universe, right. the, the universe itself, it is intellectually incoherent. It doesn't hold together, which again is why we say it's either Christ or chaos. Mm -hmm. yep. This so, is what you get. So do you yep. think like a lot of these people like flock to that side um, because they have never read God's word or been shared the gospel or why do you think it's, it's so big right now? Well, I I've just been... We're jumping back in the John's Gospel, John chapter eight. Jesus is talking to the to the Jews, the Pharisees, and they're like, "The reason why you reject my word is because you're not of God." Mm. That there's this animosity, there's hatred, there's disdain, and I would say, like adding to your list of inconsistencies of a secular or atheistic worldview, is like the the emotional inconsistency of there is no God and I hate him, yeah. you know, and and so it's like. There's, there's an emotional drive where I don't want God to be, I don't want there to be a God. And so I refuse to acknowledge any evidence that would point to me being wrong. Yeah. And so I think there is, it's just the hardness of heart, callousness of, of the heart of, and sin mm -hmm. that drives people to this. And uh, of course, the, the good news of the gospel is that God can change the coldest and deadest of hearts. Yeah. And take people from absolute darkness and devastation to to this secular atheistic worldview and bring them into the, the glory of the kingdom of heaven and understand their position as as an adopted child of the one true God who created the cosmos. Yeah. But I do think that I mean what what stops people from even considering is is this I don't want I don't want there to be anything over me. I don't want there to be a law or a, a lawgiver who commands me, I want to be that. I want to be, and that kind of fits in with all the other cults that we've talked about is this overall universal human desire of I want to be the Lord of my life. Yeah. Yep. I don't want Jesus to be there. And specifically for our day and age, secularism 
So once you get rid of God, you get rid of moral standards, right? And once you have no moral standards, you're living in a chaotic world that you're not living in line with your creation. And so you're going to reject your creator. So what I mean by that is once you, once you unleash, like in the 60s, once secularism unleashed the sexual revolution, right? That created all kinds of problems in the human person. It led to the less, the, you know, the loosening. Well, first off, people were being sexually promiscuous and make love, not war, Mm -hmm. sleeping around with a lot of different people. You've got STDs being spread. You've got unwanted pregnancies. You've got, so children born out of wedlock. You, then you get into the eighties and they, they, they loosen the divorce law. So make it easier to get divorced. So now you've got even more, now you're having people one of the, it's been called serial monogamy. They're married two or three different times. So you've got all kinds of cross-blending of families. Then you get the sexual revolution continues and the rise of feminism and you've, you're taking women out of the home. You're trying to denigrate the home and being a homemaker and raising children and, 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 and trying to get all these women to be lady bosses and go act like men out in the culture and work, basically be a slave to the state and slave to some corporate entity rather than being at home serving their husband and kids. And so then you've got kids not raised by two parents. You've got sexual perversion. You've got sexual promiscuity. On top of that, then you get the sexual revolution continues, LGBTQ. Now we're into plus and we're into all kind of chaos. Now you've got kids, I mean, all of that propaganda coming through Bluey, on, on car, in cartoons, coming coming every which way from Disney, and what has this done? It has, in what in their minds, it's liberated our sexuality, but what it's done, actual done, is made us a slave to our passions, mm. a slave to our basest desires, yeah. Yeah. and so now you've got all kinds of kids experimenting with homosexuality, and you've got kids experimenting with, I, I mean, all kinds of just stuff, right? And when they've been told since infancy that they can be whatever they want, they can do whatever they want. They're sexually free. They're personally free. There's no one above them. All that matters is how you feel, right? And then God comes in and God says, that's all a lie. Mm. You're a sinner. You're standing under the judgment of God. He is holy. You are not. He has standards. You've broken them. You're under his just judgment. These people, in some ways, they've never been judged for anything in their life. They've never been held accountable. You get a B in, you get a C in school, you go yell at the teacher or have your parents yell at the teacher and the teacher will give you a B. You know what I mean? Like, you got a detention, you go talk your way out of it. You got this, you go talk your way out of it. Like, they've never been, you get, you get pulled over for, for whatever, usually you can talk your way out of it. You get a slap on the wrist. Like our, even our justice system no, is no longer really punishing yeah. criminals, right? And so there's never really been judgment. Yeah, and so. then God comes in with some harsh judgment. Yeah. And guess what? I don't want you. Mm-hmm. And, but the reality is, if you're not a slave of Christ, you're a slave of the devil. Yeah. You're a slave to your own passions. Yeah. So are you saying this is where our government's at under this umbrella of cult, of the secularism? Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Our, whole, our whole country has been captured by secularism. Mm. 100%. Yeah. I mean, Republican, Democrat, both. Yeah, for sure. We just had, I mean, there's this Republican government, governor of Ohio. He could have vetoed a, a trans bill, and he could have made it illegal for children to be mutilated, to have their genitals cut off, and he, he refused to do it. Or he did he veto... He, he vetoed the, I can't remember what it was, but he, he either refused to sign the bill that, that would keep kids safe or he vetoed the bill. Now it could mm. still get passed, but that's a Republican, mm. a Republican that, that can't do it. Why? He's a secularist. He's, and he's also co-opted by the hospitals and stuff or one of his largest funding groups and stuff like that. So Republicans, Democrats, both have been captured by secularism. I'm not, that's not every single one of them all the way down but that's the institutions themselves. 
Well, that's the scary part about where you're, where you're going with that is where our government is like, well, we'd rather just be in power and whatever happens, we'll just let happen because we don't want to lose the power. And that's, so they stand for nothing. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, Benjamin Franklin said that's one of the biggest problems with politics is that people want to rule for their own personal interests yeah. rather than the good of society. Yeah. I'm going to vote however I need to vote to keep me in office. I'm not going to vote mm-hmm. the way God tells me to vote or my yeah. conscience tells me to vote. I'm going to vote to keep myself. I want power. I want the paycheck. I want to move yeah. up the ladder. Yeah. So I'm just going to be a pragmatist and vote how I need to vote right now. Mm. So, yeah, so um, atheism and secularism. Any other thoughts on these guys? I'd say, I mean, <clears throat> if you were to let a joyful faithful Christian family and a secular family run their course and examine at the end of it, like, how does this turn out? How does this shake out? Are, is, is the secular atheistic worldview going to deliver the things that we most deeply desire or are we going to find ourselves wanting? And I think like uh, even back to um, Ecclesiastes and, and there's just like this glimpse where, Solomon's living almost like a secular. So I chased everything I wanted. I didn't have the rule, you know, like I busted free from all the restraint and did what I wanted. And at the end, I was still longing for something. I think that if, if you just live a faithful Christian life, talking about like mission and letting the light of Christ shine, you know, your, your city on a hill, a light that can't be snuffed out. Like there, there's a, a big apologetic in that for us as Christians to keep living faithfully and not really you know, flinch at the secularists or the atheists that are critical of what we're doing. Yeah. And in that, in the end, we'll see we love God and, and it produces a, a joyful, fruitful family that spills into a church family that I think is way more intriguing than even the best of what a secular worldview has to offer. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. I would say secularism wants to take over your children. 100%. Secularism wants to divide the family. Mm-hmm. I think every single child, every single Christian child deserves a Christian education. I want to prevent parents from the unspeakable grief that comes down the road when the seeds of secularism that have been sown in their child that go to public schools for decades all of a sudden those seeds sometimes, now it's not all the time, but sometimes, many times, Mm. those seeds sprout up and parents wonder what I did wrong. And, you know, a guy in our church shared a meme this week and it was just, you know, it was kind of funny, but not. He said, you know, we send our kids to a secular public education for you know, eight hours a day for at least 12 years of their life. But we give, but they color a picture of Noah's Ark on Sunday and we think it's going to be okay. Yeah. Mm. You know, and it's, it's just, the, it's undeniable. It is not okay. Mm-hmm. So do you think we all kind of fall into this uh, secularism when it comes to like our kids want to be whatever they want to be, right? So before it's like if you grew up in a family of blacksmiths, you became a blacksmith. But nowadays, it's like, be whatever you want to be. So if your son came, was like, no, our family of men, we're preachers. This is what we do. We preach the gospel. So you think we kind of fall into that a little bit? Yeah, I think we do. I don't think we have to be 100% rigid about it. And it's, you know, but I think we need to be raising our children, for one, to be rooted in what we say around here, county over country. So... We're from here. We want to stay here. We want to find a career and a job that can keep us here because we're rooted in a church and we're rooted in our family. And we don't, you know, it's not a good, big cities aren't great, you know, and we need to sometimes despoil our children of the notion that big cities are cool and sexy and fun. And we need to let them, we need to take them on YouTube and let them see Skid Row of Los Angeles. Let them see the streets of Chicago. Let them them see the violence and the crime and, and say, those places are those places are hell holes. Yeah. You don't want to be there. Yeah. You know, and guess what you don't have there? You don't have a church there. You don't have a family there. You don't have rootedness there. 
and and maybe even you you don't have a, a family business there. Like mm. I'm big on fathers should produce should train their children in such a way and should have some kind of trade in such a way that they are noticing their each kid's proclivities and they're they're training that ch- child up in accordance with its frame and nature and father should help a child so either by ha- having his, me having my own business that I can hand off to my children or having different aspects or different different businesses where you know my daughter could work in for a while my son can do this and, and according to his frame, helping him find his thing. What, what have we been doing for 50 years? Oh, go to school and figure it out. So they go to school, they waste two years, and hopefully they find some major that they can f- find themselves in. And then most of the time, they ch- end up changing careers and, you know, yeah. it, it, doesn't, it doesn't even work out. So I think that, that can be a piece of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Any, anything else? Any other thoughts? Atheism and secularism? That's good. All right. When I made that statement that um, every child deserves a Christian education, and um, and that we can look, and it's it's a verifiable fact, if you look at the statistics of Christian parents and the statistics of their children who have turned away from the faith, the majority of those went to went to public school. That's why, that's why I say it's a verifiable fact yeah. that it's not going well. Yeah. And so we have got to do things different, right? We've got to do things different. We need to make, for the sake of our children, right? For the mm-hmm. sake of our children. So, all right, guys. Well, if that brought up some questions, you can email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com or you can email Sam at sam at sacredcitychurch.com. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless. Mm-hmm.